Well, I want to add my welcome to you this morning. So glad you're here. And uh, Pastor Henry and Kathy are back in cold Chicago. Uh, they went to the Evangelical Covenant, our denominations, their midwinter conference. And so they're back there, and he'll be back next Sunday. But we are privileged to have a family member and a special guest, I will say. You are both. And so Rick Johnson is going to bring the Word of God to us this morning. Rick, we're so glad you're here. Rick is chaplain with the Pacific Youth Correctional Ministries, and he serves at uh, Juvenile Hall. He doesn't live at Juvenile Hall or go to Juvenile Hall, but he serves there, ministers there, and has a tremendous impact with the young people there. And so he's also one of our River 47's missionaries that we help support. And so, Rick, we're just so glad that you're with us this morning. So bring the word to us, please. Okay. Yay. God bless you. Good morning. There's a Christian man that used to drive by a 7-Eleven on his way home from work every day. And he's getting ready to drive by 7-Eleven to get on the freeway. And he gets this thought, go inside the 7-Eleven and stand on your head by the soda machines. That's weird. Keeps driving, goes past 7-Eleven, goes another block. The thought comes back, go into 7-Eleven and stand on your head by the soda machines. He goes, no, that's crazy. Gets on the freeway, starts to head for home, and the thought keeps coming back, go to 7-Eleven and stand on your head by the soda machine. He, as a Christian, he says, this is so weird. It has to be God because I would never think of this on my own. So, reluctantly, he obeys the leading of the Holy Spirit, turns around, goes back, and parks in front of 7-Eleven, waits for everybody to come out. He goes in there real quick, stands on his head near the soda machine, <laughs> starts to leave, and, and he catches in the corner of his eye, there's the clerk standing there. And the clerk says, hold on a second. Why did you do that? And he goes, well, I, you know... I'm a Christian, and, and God, I just felt God was telling me to do that. And he said, five minutes ago, another Christian was in here witnessing to me. And a Christian man came here and told me that I need to receive Christ. And he said, I don't believe in your Jesus. In fact, I don't even believe in your God. I'll believe in your God if somebody comes in here and stands on their head next to the soda machine. <laughs> what is God asking you to do? to reach someone for Jesus Christ. True story. Another story that I heard of a, a lady that wanted to become a missionary to Peru, but she fell in love and got married, became a wife, became a mother, but that burden was there. And at age 68, her husband passed away. And God began to stir up that calling again. And this was many years ago. She went to Life Bible College. And she took some Bible classes at this college. And then she went to the denomination. And she says, God is calling me to Peru to be a missionary. And you know what they said to her? You're too old. And they said it in a nice way, probably. No, we don't feel God is calling you to Peru. You know, pray give. She says, no, I want to go. Oh, we're sorry. 
she went home and she began to pray. And God led her to sell her house, move to Peru on her own to serve God. And she says, what do I do, Lord? She stood on a street corner, something that we could all do. And there's people that do that. And people began, she began to tell people there that came across her path, she began to tell people about Jesus. She's 69, 60, 70 years old by now. And she began to tell people that there's a Jesus that can do miracles. There's a Jesus that can heal people. You need to believe in this Jesus. You need to be careful what you preach. One day she got a knock on her door. And it was some Peruvian Indians from up in the hills somewhere. And, and they came down and says, are you that woman that teaches about a man named Jesus that does miracles? She goes, yes, I am. Says, well, our chief just died, and we want you to come and pray for him. She goes, okay. And she goes to this tribe, and there she walks in to this home, and there's the, a dead man laying there. And she begins to pray, and she claims, I think that verse in Mark 16, 18, she begins to claim the word of God and pray in Jesus' name. And to her amazement, the chief woke up from death. That chief came back to life. And that, that man, that proven Indian man, opened his eyes and he says, I met a Jesus that told us that we need to believe in him. And that woman began to share the gospel with those people. They were listening. They were listening. What is God asking you to do to reach another person? He's not asking you to sell your house and move to Peru, probably. But what is he asking you to do? You know, think about some of the things that Jesus told people to do. He told a man that had a shriveled arm, stretch out your arm. He'd never done that before. He told Peter, get out of the boat, Peter, walk on water. It's impossible. Why are you telling me to do that? Told a paralyzed man, take up your mat and walk. And he told the church, go into all the world and preach the gospel. What? The Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. That was given to a small group of men who did not have the resources, did not have the influence, and lived at a time when travel was difficult. And he told them to go into all the world and preach the gospel? Us? Well, grab your handout here this morning. I want you to participate by at least writing down some words and just so something sticks in your head. You know, I think most of us know Acts 1.8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, he told them to go. Then he told them to wait for the empowering of the Holy Spirit and what they were going to do. Yes, they were going to go to the whole world. So on your handout there, what did Jesus give them in Acts 1.8? He gave them a promise. 
And so, number one, without the promise in Acts 1-8, the disciples would never have tried to complete the Great Commission. Without the promise in Acts 1-8, the church would not have survived. The gospel message would not have gone out. You know, one of the areas mentioned in Acts 1-8 was Samaria. Now, who lived in Samaria? It was the Samaritans. And you remember from John chapter 4, when that woman from Samaria and Jesus had that interaction Jesus asked her for a drink, and she says, well, why? Why are you asking me for a drink? We don't even associate with people. There are people that we don't even associate with in this world, and we're supposed to reach them? Well, the Jews did not want the church to spread to Samaria. James and John even asked Jesus if they could call down fire on one of the Samaritan villages that did not welcome Jesus as they were traveling to Jerusalem. And today, we have the same commission to go into all the world, to our Jerusalems, Judea, Samarias, and other parts of the world. You know, we like to reach those in our Jerusalem, those that are like us, our Judeas, people that we can relate to, that we do associate with. We're Americans. But then there's those areas that we don't like to go to, perhaps. So, uh, number two. Two, what are some modern-day Samarias for you? It's places maybe that you don't want to go and evangelize. Maybe there's places that you'd rather not see the church really advance. I'm not going to sign up for certain ministries, okay? Some people see the ministry that I'm involved with. Juvenile delinquents, they don't need that. They're not ready for the gospel. They're not open for the gospel. Forget those young, crazy, gangster, drug addicts. Forget them. They'll grow up eventually. It's a kind of a Samaria for some people. They don't want to go there. Maybe it's that nursing home ministry that somebody's inviting you to participate in. Maybe it's the homeless shelter. I don't want to go there. It's Samaria to you, a motel ministry. Maybe it is juvenile hall. It's a Samaritan. Those are Samaritans. We don't like those people. I don't relate to those people. But God is asking us not just to go to the people like us. He's going to the, asking us to go to people that maybe we would don't even like or relate to. So let's turn to Acts 16. That's going to be where we're going to be here this morning. Acts 16. And we see how the Lord directed the ministry of the Apostle Paul. He went into a city many times, many cities. This is one that he went into. And he started to look for opportunities just to represent the Lord. Like the woman in Peru, she stood on a street corner. Wherever we're at, we're representing Jesus Christ. We're his church. We don't go to church. We are the church. And so how did the Apostle Paul This was on his second missionary journey. How did he begin to to connect when he went into the city of Philippi? How did he even get to Philippi in the first place? So let's look at Acts chapter 16. Skip down to verse 6. I'll begin reading. Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. 
when they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Messiah and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul, verse 10, saw or seen the vision, we, and Luke is now beginning to call himself we, uh, he's a part of the team now, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel there. What do we learn about ministry in this chapter? Number three, all ministry should be done with other believers. We're not supposed to be out going it alone. Notice that it says Paul and his companions. Paul wasn't a one-man show. We need to pull people in. We need to connect with other believers and serve together with other believers. Ministry works best that way. When I went into full-time ministry, um, I remember the first thing I needed to do. I just didn't start doing what I wanted to do. The very first thing I did was find a missions organization to affiliate with, come on staff, be certified, began to connect then with with the people on staff, because I didn't want to be a Lone Ranger. We need uh, a ministry, a, a group of people to minister together. Number four, all ministry must be directed by who? The Holy Spirit. You know, there's places we want to go, and, and the door closed for, for Paul and his companions. They, they couldn't go certain places because the Holy Spirit wouldn't allow them. And the Holy Spirit's going to lead you. So they weren't just sitting around, though, waiting. They were going places. The reason the door closed is because they were actually moving in certain directions. You know, the best way to find out what God is asking you to do is just to start doing things. Start volunteering for different opportunities that that you have right here in this church. See how God is just leading you. And he will lead you. He'll make that clear. Try ministries out, okay? Paul and his team, they were going places, and that's how the Lord directed them, as they were going. But then God closed the door. Why would God close a door of of ministry? Well, maybe the need isn't that great right there. Uh, Maybe somebody else is already doing that, don't want to duplicate things. And uh, God probably is not going to ask you, to start another Christian radio station in Southern California. I think we got enough, okay? (laughs) God's not going to probably have you plan a new church in the Circle of Orange. This church has already done that, and a couple others have done the same thing. God's not going to ask us to maybe duplicate things. And I think it was later on, Peter's the one that actually went into uh, the area that Paul and his team couldn't go into. Peter went in there later. But that wasn't God's will for Paul. The place God wanted Paul to go was so important that he gave him a vision to direct him. And so the message title, if you just want to remember the title, it's there at the top. Have, did you get the call? Did you get the call? What happened in verse 9 is what some people call the Macedonian call, the call to ministry. Who was calling him? Well, the Lord was calling him. 
But in the vision, who was that man? Who was that man? Well, keep listening. I remember sensing the call to ministry at age 14 or about 15, 1975. We went to the Navajo Indian Reservation with Turlock Covenant Church on a missions trip. And I was just, you know, 15 years old. And we got there in the afternoon. And in the evening, we sat down with the missionaries there. And they began to explain what we're going to do, Vacation Bible School, that, that week out in the middle of the desert. And I remember that night walking outside by myself, looking up at the stars and saying, Lord, I like this. I want to do this all the time. I remember that that day. Many years later, I felt the call to incarcerated youth after working at a Christian boys ranch or a group home. Faith Home Teen Ranch was not too far from where I grew up, and they actually brought the youth at this group home placement facility to Turlock Covenant Church for many, many years. And so I saw them all the time. And they also hosted the annual Sunday school picnic on Memorial Day. I went out there many times not knowing that I'd eventually work there. And as I was working there, we would have a a Wednesday night Bible study, one of the few group homes that even did that. And eventually I was asked to, to teach at this Bible study. And I began teaching the Wednesday night Bible studies. And man, I really liked that role. I could take off the one hat and I could put on the hat of dealing with the spiritual needs. I just felt led to that. And then I met some other people that were doing ministry for, uh, in youth correctional facilities that, that just got me totally inspired. And so that role of being like a chaplain, a minister, I, that appealed to me. And, you know, then I would, after Bible study, okay, if we got to go to bed, I got to discipline kids, I got to confront, got to challenge them, got to hold them accountability, got to break up fights, got to solve arguments. I had to be the bad parent. So I like being the good parent, you know, be the good guy. Well, back to Acts chapter 16. What was the man doing in Paul's vision? What was the man doing in Paul's vision? Who would be begging for help? Who do you think in Macedonia would be begging for help? Well, maybe it was a lost person, an unsaved person. And I have another opinion I'll share towards the end. Well, number five on your handout, we need the Holy Spirit to direct us. We need the Holy Spirit to empower us, but we need the Holy Spirit to help you see the condition of people around you. You know, people need help. What did that man need in that vision? Well, it depends on who he is and was. Before God's going to call you into a particular area of ministry, he's got to give you a burden. And I remember growing up in the church, and somewhere in high school there after that missions trip, I just loved the ministry of the church. I wanted to do things. And God will give you that. God will lead you. But you, you ask him for that burden. And the Holy Spirit will give you that burden, help you see the needs that are all around you. Back to the group home experience there, leading that Bible study. God, uh, I remember a young man came up to me one Wednesday night after the study and says, why did, 
God have the Israelites kill all those people in the Old Testament? Oh, okay, that's a good question. I grew up in the church. I knew the Bible. So the answer at the time was, because he's God. Because he's God. You know, and that didn't quite answer the question. But for people growing up the church, that's, you know, yeah, that's how it happened. Get over it, you know, deal with it. God, you know. But uh, I went back to my room that night and I says, God, you did kill people. I've never really thought about that because I just trust you. But God, I, I need an answer here. I, I want to answer this, this young man appropriately. That was a turning point in my life where, again, the burden to be able to teach the Bible began to grow inside of me. And I put up a card table in my room. And I got some books and I got a stack of paper, and I began to write out the, all the questions that new believers would have or unbelievers would have. And it's now, many years later, it's turned into something that we hand out every week at Juvenile Hall, the most asked questions about God and the Bible. And so that started when somebody asked me a question, and I had a burden, and I felt called to be able to explain the Word of God to that young person. Well, let's see what Paul did about the vision. You know, he had a burden. He had a burden for the lost. And that's why he got up and he left immediately. Man, they were excited to serve God. You know, ministry is exciting when you know God is leading you. When God has given you a burden and a calling, it's exciting to be used by God. Acts chapter 16, verse 11. Let's pick up in verse 11. How do they respond to this vision? From Troas, we put out to sea. We had to get on a boat. And they sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day, we went to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city in the district of Macedonia. And there we stayed there several days. Everybody say, several days. So they get there. They're all excited. And we're just waiting, okay? Verse 13, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. They, uh, they expected because I think they had been told, you know, uh, there, there's some Jews or some people that meet down by the river, you know, they're spiritual or whatever. So they figured, okay, God, that's the, we're going to go down to the river. We're going to find this big old group of people, and we're going to, you know, this is going to be great, you know. And they go down there, they're looking around, where is everybody, you know, and, it, well, there's some women over there. God, really? Is this, is this where you're leading us? They expected. Verse 14, one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's what? His message. Okay, his message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Number six, all ministry will require you to go somewhere. Okay. All ministry will require you to go somewhere. 
Sometimes it's just right inside the church. You go inside, deeper inside the ministry of the church. Sometimes you're going to go outside, bring the church outside like I'm doing. But the big idea is to connect with other people. I love what I do because the youth come to us. It's all voluntary. They come to church. There's a church service going on right now at the Youth Guidance Center. They come on their own. And we just wait for for them to fill out a request slip. And so I think I met with, gosh, what was it? Well, 600, let's say. It was a lot of youth that fill out a request. And then there's follow-up from that and discipleship. But you just wait to see them ask for help. God opens some hearts. God has to open some hearts. So all ministry required you go to go somewhere. And number seven, all ministry, though, will not go as planned at all times. All ministry will not go as planned at times. Now, the Lord, like I said, directed them to Philippi, but then they are just waiting several days. Kind of felt like nothing was happening. Paul kept looking out the window. Where's that man I saw in the vision? Okay, where is he? I want to meet that guy. I want to help him. So, like I said, Paul's, his, his strategy when he went into a city was he would go to the Jews. He would go to the Jews first, then the Gentiles. He'd go into the synagogue, and he began to preach Jesus in the synagogue, and the hearts would change and turn to the Lord and become believers, and they would start a church. That was his strategy. But there was no synagogue in Philippi. It takes 10 men to start a um, synagogue, and there was not 10 men. So it wasn't like, wow, God, why did you send us here? There's not even a synagogue. Well, you got to start somewhere, don't you? Just start. Just start somewhere. Do something. One of our chaplains had a wife that lived right over here on Esplanade. And she would just, she was a quiet, godly woman. And she would drive around the city of Orange And she would just pray. And she would feel led to certain homes. And she'd sit on her car and she'd write a personal one-on-one letter to the person in that home. I don't know you, but my name is Tamara. And I've been praying for you. And she would drop off these letters in people's house. That was one of her ministries. We can all do that. We got to just start somewhere. Now, it's never going to go the way you expect. A lot of our volunteers come in, you know, uh, Daniel's been in, Dave's been in, you know, and people come in to minister and share and, okay, how's it going to go? And people expect maybe not, you know, expect it a little bit different. We all have expectations in the ministry and, and uh, Paul, the team, they had a little expectation. They're all excited, and, and they go down to the river, and there's some women there, and maybe it wasn't exactly what they expected. But you just start. You start, and you go, and you do something. Number eight, all ministry requires you to have a message. All ministry is going to require you to have a message. Have a message, Okay. The women didn't respond to Paul's friendliness. The women didn't respond to Paul's charisma. 
The women didn't respond to another invitation to have another prayer meeting. The women responded to the message of the gospel. You know, Paul got right down to business, okay? He didn't travel hundreds of miles to make a new friend. He came there to see people get saved. I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to share the message of Jesus Christ. He's there to win souls. And so he shared the message of the gospel, and the Lord opened Lydia's heart. Just like the man in, the, in 7-11. There are people across, that you cross paths with every day. Their, their hearts are open. It's hard to tell. It's hard to look across those that come to church at Juvenile Hall and see who's really open. But there's some that are very open and that ask to be seen. And they, they're, they're, they're seeking the Lord. They want help. You know, a quote of the year that I just put in my annual report, my newsletter, is the church isn't here to save America. The church is here to save Americans. The church isn't here to save America. The church is here to save people in America by sharing the gospel with them. You know where people are turning to Christ the most? Where are people turning to Christ the most? You know where? Wherever the gospel is preached. That's where people are turning to Christ, wherever the gospel is preached. I'll close with Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed, Paul. This is Paul speaking to the Romans. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. What is the power of God? It's the message of the gospel. All ministry will require you to have a message, the message of the gospel. A few years ago, the chief of probation, who was a believer, God allowed her to be in that position for about four or five years. She gathered all of us on staff at the Catholic and Protestant ministry at Juvenile Hall, and she says, I really have a burden, and I feel called to do something about the gang problem here in Orange County. It broke her heart when she would hear about the gang shootings and gang members, young kids dying. She said, I want to do something, and I want it to be something that's the Lord's in it. So we began to meet in her office and we would pray. And now a summit, a gang summit came out of that for youth pastors and pastors and ministers. And it was a neat thing, a very special time. And out of that birth, a ministry called Lives Worth Saving. And there's a pastor that trains just lay people, anybody that trains them to go out on the street on Saturday nights and Saturday night, they go to different neighborhoods, primarily in Santa Ana, because there's 70 gangs in Santa Ana. And they go to the neighborhoods, and they have these jackets that say lives worth saving on them. And they just enter, just stir up conversation, begin to pray for gang members. Can you imagine walking up to a gang member and praying with them? It happens. It happens every week. You know, gang violence is down. It's down. There used to be 100 young people being tried as adults in juvenile hall five years ago. Now there's 30. Tried an adult because it was serious charge, a very serious offense. Now there's 30. You know, I remember God speaking to me very clearly during that time. Hey, what can I do? And God says, you're already doing it, Rick. I have more contact 
with active gang members in Orange County than any other church in the county. They're there. They're filling out requests. I didn't need to go start another whole ministry. I'm doing it. God already has a plan for me to reach the gang member. Preach Jesus to them. Share the gospel with them. Our ministry is already designed to deal with the gang problem in Orange County. The gang problem in Orange County will be solved when gang members hear the gospel, respond to the gospel, and begin to be discipled by the local church. Young man got out. Gang member from um, Anaheim. Got out yesterday. And I showed up. We arranged this. I, would, I went by, and he was wearing the same thing that he got arrested in, that he been in a bag for nine months, and he put those clothes on when he got released yesterday. And it was shorts and a T-shirt. It was a little cold last night, remember? And so I walk up, and he's there, and, and I got my nice coat on. And Okay. Um, and I saw a neighbor come over right then and give him a jacket. And somebody else had given him some shoes. And we went down to Sears and bought couple pairs of pants because he had one pair of shorts and that's a and then another neighbor invited him to church and so that's that's the church doing things in a bad area of Anaheim you know I'm not ashamed of the gospel it's the answer to a lot of the problems we see in our city you know who's begging for help this morning somebody's begging for help may not be that gang member in your life May not be that lost person. May not be that homeless person. You know who else is begging for help? It's somebody that's a Christian. Maybe that man, and there was a man in Macedonia that had a relationship with the Lord, but he was all alone. And he's just crying out to God, God, send, a, send me help. Send help to this city. I'm, I feel like I'm the only one here representing you. You know, we're all in this together. River 47, we're representing Jesus Christ here in Orange. We got to be in it together. Who in this church is begging for help? They got the burden. They got the call. They're just looking for people to help serve. I pray that, you know, maybe God will give you a, a vision of Pastor Henry begging for help. You know, if God, if you see me begging for help in your little dream someday, we have an orientation coming up for new volunteers in March. But like I said, I think it's that Macedonian man was a believer. He wanted to see God work. So let's bow our heads, close our eyes. So, Lord, we're going to ask you right now for that fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Lord, you said that you'll make us witnesses. And so, Lord, the power comes to be a witness by your Spirit. So we receive that, God. Just the power of your Spirit to make us a witness for you, a light. Lord, I'm going to ask right now, Lord, this church, just give us that burden, that vision, not just for the lost, God, but maybe to come alongside that other brother and sister that's, that's doing it, that's 
going for it, that's fulfilling the Great Commission right here in this church. God, give us a burden, a, a calling to come alongside and, and help them. That Macedonian call. And Lord God, I pray for each person here, God. We, we need a clear message and understanding of the, the gospel because that's the message. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And so today, Lord, God, we want to be the church. We want to take the gospel where it belongs to every person. So I pray and thank you and bless every person here that's ministering and serving. And God, call more. And may there be ministry going on here, God, that you're pleased with. And we commit that to you. So, Lord, as we transition into communion, Lord, we remember your ministry. You left heaven. You came to us in need. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.